Good morning. My name is Barry White, and I'll be playing the part of James Green today. Apologize already for my, my voice. I hope I sound a little extra soulful. It's a super, super Sunday to be with you. Get it? Get it? Super Bowl later today. Maybe you're more excited about the commercials or the food at your party. I don't know. But there will be a football game going on later today. And this game will match two rivals against one another. And on this stage, unlike in the NFL regular season, this game can't end in a tie. So one team's going to win. And one team is going to lose. And unless one team cheats, and I'm not mentioning any names here, but unless there's some cheating that goes on, then the team that plays the best is going to win. That's the way the game will end today, because it's just a game. Unless there's cheating, I don't think you know, the Patriots players and the Seahawks players are going to carry grudges or harbor any bitterness about the outcome today, because it's just a game. But I'm sure you're aware, in real life, there are differences of opinion and disagreements and arguments over who's right and who's wrong and who got hurt and who did the hurting. Those things occur all the time because life's not a game. So if you're here today and you are a person, if you're human, you're going to have to learn how to deal with conflict and disagreements and disappointments and issues with authority and know how to move forward, pursuing reconciliation so that those disagreements don't cripple you. Because we're gathered here together as a church today, I'm going to make an assumption. I know that's dangerous. But I'm going to assume that a large percentage of the people here today would profess to be Christ followers. Well, knowing how to resolve conflicts and disputes and trust the leaders that God has given us and let those leaders earn our trust and be transparent, that's especially important. It's critical for Christ followers. Because we represent Christ on this planet to our family, and in our relationships, and and to the unbelieving world. We're Christ's ambassadors. So we need to learn how to forgive one another when we're wronged. We need to know how to pursue reconciliation when we need to do that. We all need to practice these things in our lives so that we can display the truth of the gospel for everybody to see. Because the gospel of Christ is all about reconciliation. God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sins and to conquer sin and death and make a way for God's creation to be reconciled back to himself. That's what he did. The gospel is about reconciliation. So if we profess faith as Christ followers, what we have to do is practice forgiveness. We can't just talk about it abstractly. We need to do it. Now, this couldn't be any clearer in God's word. We see this from the instructions of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 to 32. Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So here's the deal. If you're a Christ follower, somebody has done something that hurts you, if you don't agree with them, what are you supposed to do? Forgive them. You're supposed to forgive them. Why? Because God, through Jesus Christ, has forgiven you. Because God has forgiven you and me. Because practically, if we don't forgive, if we don't pursue 
reconciliation, I promise you this, it'll eat at you. It'll poison you. I've suffered this consequence in my life. I pray that I will finally learn this lesson one day. I don't want to mess up like this ever again, but I've done it recently. Heard it said before that if you withhold forgiveness, it's like drinking poison yourself and hoping that it'll hurt somebody else. Let me, let me assure you this, it won't. <laughs> poison will just eat at your insides, and the person you're trying to hurt, they won't even know what you're doing. You'll just be hurting yourself. So we need to be people who practice forgiveness and reconciliation so that we don't become bitter. Heard a story one time about General Robert E. Lee. He was the commander of the Confederate Army during the American Civil War. And, and after the Civil War was over, he was touring down in the South. He was in Kentucky. And he went by this lady's home, and she desperately wanted him to come see what had formerly been this grand old tree in her front yard. And she wanted him to see it because it had been damaged. It had been destroyed during a, a battle. And so she brings Lee into her yard, and she shows him this tree. And she said, you see how the trunk is damaged? You see how the limbs are dead? It's because of the North. It's because of the Union Army and the, and the gunfire. And, and she was just positive that Lee would sympathize with her plight. That he would say something condemning the North. But instead... He said this, he said, Dear lady, cut the tree down and move on. It's better to forgive the injustices of the past than allow them to remain and let bitterness take root and poison the rest of your life. Let's talk about forgiveness and reconciliation today. If you would, please join me in your Bibles in the book of Philemon. Philemon is a tiny, tiny little letter. The shortest we have in the canon from the Apostle Paul. It's towards the back of your Bible, right after Titus, right before Hebrews. Unless you're using a study Bible, I guarantee it's only one page, so you could miss it. We're going to look at Philemon together. And I'm going to do something unusual here today. We normally try to make a few announcements during our worship service about important things that are going on in the body, like the manly man's meal, stuff like that. But we normally don't include those announcements during our primary teaching time, so this feels a little odd for me, but in light of the announcements that were made at our annual meeting and then made during the worship service last week concerning upcoming pastoral staff transitions, I think there's a little bit of an elephant in the room for some of us, you know. So if I'd just come up and, and started preaching out of Luke, I think there'd be a lot of questions. So instead, what I want to do today with the blessing of the elders is just share the things that God is doing in my life. I want to share the areas where he's convicting me about things that I've done wrong. I want to share how he's calling me to be obedient. And what we're going to study today in Philemon is just so critically important for all of us, the body of believers here at the chapel. So I'm going to share the things that God has been teaching me, and I'm just praying. I'm actually positive that we all need to hear this message from Paul to Philemon and grasp it and apply it in our lives. First, let me share this announcement. In order to be obedient to God's calling on my life and to do my very best to use the gifts that God has given me for his glory, I'm going to resign my position as the teaching pastor at Cape Bible Chapel at the end of this month so that I can accept the position of senior pastor at Orchards Community Church in Lewiston, Idaho. Now, Lewiston's a really beautiful city. 
It's on the Idaho-Washington border. And my family and I are going to be moving out there so I can join God in this new role somewhere around March 15th. I would ask that you would be praying for us because we are scared. Now, the area is gorgeous. Let me take the opportunity to invite all of you to come visit. Not all at the same time. That would be bad. But, but it's beautiful. There's, there's a recreational river that separates Idaho and Washington. There's tons of outdoor activities. The mountains are close by. The ocean's pretty close. Canada's not too far away. <laughs> we don't have all the details figured out yet, but we're certain that God is calling us there. And so we want to be obedient because every step in this process has been affirmed for us. So me and my family, we're going to get to join God on this incredible adventure that he has for us. We're going to get to see how he'll carry us and provide for us and use us to further his kingdom. So we're excited. But before we go, we've got to make sure that all our relationships are in order. Because we have been so privileged. We've been so blessed to worship and serve here at Cape Bible Chapel. <laughs> we we love the people here. And so we, we do. We're, we're considering ourselves blessed even to go through a hard situation right now because we're learning how God works all things together for good. So please, please pray for us. And I promise we're going to be praying for the chapel. And I understand that announcement may be difficult for some of you to hear, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I pray that I've earned your trust on this. Will you track with me for the rest of this sermon? <laughs> Will you stick with me for the next 37 minutes and let me be your pastor? Because God has brought us here together to worship today. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the book of Philemon because it is just the greatest story of forgiveness and reconciliation and living out the gospel. And God has just been preaching this to me over and over again this week. And since my whole heart's desire is just to teach the Word of God, and be the vehicle that he wants to use to make this known. I just feel that that's what I'm supposed to do today, is just stand up here in front of you and be transparent and share what God's doing in my life. Because I'm confident that he wants me to seek reconciliation. He wants me to admit areas where I've been wrong. He wants me to forgive people. He wants me to seek reconciliation and, and be reconciled. I'm sure that's what he wants for our church body. Because if a situation calls for forgiveness and we withhold it, we don't seek reconciliation. If we try to keep a list, a record of wrongs, if we try to run from things without fully processing them, we're going to be like that lady in Kentucky who wants to look at her dead tree every morning. We'll become bitter. And that bitterness will sweep through the church, and Satan will have a field day. He'll love it. He'll come and stoke that bitterness in our lives, and it'll burn, and it'll destroy us like drinking poison. Unless we learn these things and apply them, the things that God shows us through Paul in this letter. I love this church. I love you people. I can't stand the thought of Satan having his way here, so we need to do this. We need to address forgiveness and reconciliation. I'm begging that you'll practice this with me. Make sure you go through this process. Ask any questions that you need to ask. The elders have been so gracious, so willing to make themselves available. They're going to continue to do that. 
the elders here at the chapel have an incredibly difficult job. They're responsible for hearing from the Holy Spirit and shepherding and guiding the local church, and they need our prayers to do that because it is a noble and hard task. But I can promise you this from having served as an elder for many years. The men that God has placed in authority here at the chapel, they love God. And they love you. They love the people here. So talk to them and allow them to guide you and allow them to earn your trust. And then if it's necessary for you, begin this process of making reconciliation. So let me help with this. Let's look at what this study is going to teach us. This true story about a guy named Onesimus. And he was a runaway slave and a thief. And by running away, he wronged his master, Philemon. And believe me, I wish we had the time to study the backdrop for this today, the culture of slavery in the first century. Because if we did, we'd see that slavery back then isn't like slavery the way we think of it, racial slavery in the South. The Bible takes a lot of hits, actually, for sounding like it promotes slavery. But we're bringing you know, our current Western view to that. Let me just say this clearly. The Bible does not promote slavery. The Bible promotes reconciliation, blessings for obedience, honoring people who are created in God's image, discerning the motivation of hearts. So we're going to read this text, and Paul is going to make an appeal in this text to his friend Philemon on behalf of his friend Onesimus. But I want us to pay attention. The appeal is really for all of us. I'm playing the part of Paul today because I want to urge us to pursue reconciliation. But the truth is, I'm also playing the part of Onesimus today because I'm in that place where I need forgiveness. I'm in the middle of a situation that kind of looks like a fire that got out of control. And while I didn't start the fire, I didn't do everything I could to stop the fire from spreading. And at times, because I was hurt, I added some kindling to the fire. I threw a log on. And so I need to confess that today. And ask for your forgiveness. So I'm I'm Paul and I'm Onesimus. And I've been Philemon recently. (laughs) Needing to forgive someone who wronged me. So truly, I'm playing all three parts here today. I probably should have brought costumes. Please follow along with me in this text. And let's see which character you identify with in this account. Because maybe, like me, you're all three of these guys. Let's read Philemon, verses 1 to 3. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's writing from prison in Rome. Now again, this is not lockup in the way that we think of it today. This actually probably looks a lot more like house arrest, but with one big difference. Paul's probably living in a rented house. He's able to have visitors. It says Timothy is there with him. But the big difference is he would be chained to a Roman guard 24-7. So that's going to be a little awkward for both Paul and the guard, but that's where he is. He's in jail. And the primary recipient of this letter is Paul's friend Philemon. Now Philemon is a wealthy guy from Colossae, and God used Paul to lead Philemon to the Lord, and now this church at Colossae is meeting in Philemon's house. It's a good bet that Aphia is Philemon's wife, 
Archippus is most likely the pastor of this house church, but there are some commentators who believe maybe he's also the son of Philemon and Aphia. We don't know that for sure. But Paul addresses this letter to these folks individually, but then notice also to the church. So this is both a private and a public letter. If we were sending this as an email, it would be addressed to Paul. Everybody else would be carbon copied in. So it's a big audience here. So let's walk through this together. And as we do, you want to see on your outline, we want to look for two things that are necessary for forgiveness and reconciliation to take place. I said earlier, we're going to probably put ourselves in somebody's shoes as we read this. Well, Onesimus, he's going to be the poster boy for one of these attitudes. And Philemon will represent the other. But the thing we need to notice today is that for true reconciliation to take place, both sides are going to have to acknowledge the necessity of the other side. Now hear me on this. Forgiveness can happen with just one person. (laughs) I can choose to forgive someone whether they want to be forgiven or not. Forgiveness is not dependent on their involvement. But reconciliation doesn't work that way because reconciliation is a two-way street. And so in this letter, the first crucial component of reconciliation is going to be modeled by Philemon. Now he's the offended party in this story, right? He's the one who was done wrong. His slave stole from him and ran away from him. So Philemon's got a legitimate beef. But the attitude we're going to have to see from him if this reconciliation that Paul is proposing is going to work, he's got to have an attitude of sacrifice. For God to get the glory and restore this relationship, Philemon's going to have to be willing to sacrifice being right. He's going to have to sacrifice his desire to be right. He's going to have to be lovingly selfless and take the focus off of himself and and being offended or being taken advantage of Now, if you're playing Philemon in the story today, just think about this. If somebody legitimately did you wrong, in order to truly forgive them, you're going to have to be willing to sacrifice, right? Motivated by love. We're going to have to be willing to move the focus off of ourselves and onto Jesus. So do we think Philemon has it in him to be sacrificial? Is he a loving guy? Let's look at verses 4 to 7. Paul writes this, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. I don't know about you, but Philemon sounds pretty solid to me, right? There's a bunch of indicators here that Philemon can be selfless. He can be loving. Verse 2, we already saw, he hosts the church, so he's hospitable. Verse 5 says Paul, all the way over in Rome, has heard about Philemon's love. So he's so loving, he's developed a reputation, and it's spread. Verse 7 indicates Paul himself had been the beneficiary of Philemon's loving attitude. And he says, not just me, but all the saints. They're refreshed because Philemon is a loving guy. So Paul gives these great examples of this sacrificial love, and he sandwiches them around this prayer that we see in verse 6. And this is the key verse in the whole chapter. So let's read verse 6 again. 
Paul says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Let me tell you why this is key in this effort to have Philemon and Onesimus reconcile. Paul's just said, Philemon's a superhero, right? He's a really good guy. He's a loving guy. He's hospitable. He's a good example. But just think for a second, what if he'd done all those things under pretty easy circumstances? I mean, Philemon's a wealthy guy. He's blessed, right? Maybe he's been fearfully and wonderfully wired by God to just like people. Maybe all these things he's doing are pretty low-hanging fruit for Philemon. It's not a stretch. When does living our life in Christ become difficult? When is it hard to be a witness? It's when we encounter trials. It's when things don't go the way we hoped. It's, it's when somebody says something and it sounds mean, even if they're speaking the truth in love. Matthew chapter 5, we find some of the hardest instructions from Jesus in the whole Bible. Matthew 5 verse 46 says this, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? Jesus is saying, anybody can do that. That's not hard. That's picking the low hanging fruit to love those who are easy to love. No, Jesus says this. Here, here's the real test of fruit in your life. Look at chapter 5, verses 43 to 44. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. And pray for those who persecute you. Now here's Philemon. And Paul's saying, hey, my friend, I want you to have full knowledge of what it looks like to forgive someone. I don't want you just to have head knowledge about it. I don't want you just to hear a nice sermon about it. I don't want you to think about forgiveness. I'm going to send someone to you that you need to forgive. And I'm going to have you do it in front of your family and in front of your church. Let's see how you do that. This letter that Philemon received, it was addressed to him and to the church. So Philemon would have read it aloud to the church. Do you know who Paul sent the letter with? It was Onesimus. Now can you imagine the thought that went through Paul's mind, or Philemon's mind when he first opened the door and there stands his runaway slave? His first thought, wow, I think I'll forgive him. By the letter of the law in that day, Philemon could have had him killed. Instead, Paul's saying, hey, hey, Philemon, you're a loving guy. Let's see if the rubber really meets the road for you in a trial. Let's see if you'll consider this, this opportunity to forgive someone a blessing. After this situation plays out, is Philemon going to praise God? Is he going to better understand Romans 8, 28, one of the hardest verses to apply in the whole Bible? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose? So will Philemon hear Paul's appeal and see that God has been at work? Or is Philemon going to do what most of us do when we're wronged? Because then we aren't as loving. We aren't as sacrificial. We take our focus off of loving others and we put our focus on our own discomfort and our own pain. But hear me on this. We can't forgive others if we're focused on ourselves. Because forgiveness requires sacrifice. 
Is Philemon ready to practice forgiveness in front of the whole church? Let's look at verses 8 to 13. Paul says, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I'm such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. I led him to the Lord, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and me. I've sent him back to you in person, carrying this letter. That is, send in my very heart. I wish to keep him with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. See, I'm not standing up here today ordering you to forgive and reconcile. But I have the same confidence in Christ that Paul had. I know that forgiveness is what we need to do, but I'm making an appeal out of love, just like Paul did. So forgiveness and reconciliation are going to take place. We need these two things to happen. First, we said we've got to be willing to lay down our rights when we've been wronged. We have to sacrifice out of love. That's Philemon's task here. But then the second part is, there has to be an attitude of change. If Paul had simply found Onesimus hiding as a runaway slave and sent him back to Philemon, and Onesimus had not changed in any way, would this kind of reconciliation be possible? See, that's not what happens. Onesimus shows up at Philemon's door, and he is a changed man. He's experienced the most important change ever. He's a new creation in Christ. Verse 10 indicates he's had a new birth. So he's had this spiritual change from the inside out. Verse 11 indicates that's resulted in a changed work ethic. Honestly, Onesimus must have been pretty lazy before. There's a neat play on words here because the name Onesimus actually translates, it means useful. And Paul's saying when he ran away from you, he was useless. But now he's changed. He's going to return and he'll live up to his name. His spiritual change has transformed his desire to effectively serve. And I think this is maybe key, and I've missed this before. God showed me this. Onesimus has changed his mission in life. Verses 12 and 13 say that Paul would have really liked to have kept Onesimus with him back in Rome because he was so useful. But I think Onesimus has this huge burden. I think he has this greater mission in life now. He needs to be reconciled. I think that's what drove Onesimus to return to Philemon. I bet he shared this desire with reconciliation for Paul. And Paul was so loving and so sacrificial that even though he wanted to keep him here, he said, okay, I I love you dearly. I can't stand in the way of you doing the thing that God desires for you to do. So Paul writes this letter. And he sends Onesimus back as his very heart. Let me ask you this because I guarantee you've been here. When you have strained relationships, deep down, don't you just long to be set free from carrying that weight? Anger and bitterness? Don't you just want to stop drinking the poison and do everything you can to be reconciled? I heard a story about a Spanish father he had a son named Paco, and 
And he and Paco had a big disagreement, falling out. And they were estranged. Paco said horrible things, vile things about his father, and he ran away. And his dad so desperately wanted to be reconciled that he set out all over Spain looking for his son for months. To no avail, he couldn't find him. Finally, as a last-ditch effort, he went to Madrid. He went to Spain's largest city, over three and a half million people. And he took out a full-page ad in the newspaper. Went into the office on a Friday. The ad was going to run on Saturday. And the ad simply said this. It said, Dear Paco, All is forgiven. Please come home. I love you. Your father. And so the ad ran on Saturday, and Paco's father went down to the newspaper office to see if Paco would come. 4,000 guys named Paco showed up looking for forgiveness and reconciliation from their fathers. They showed up because they saw this ad that said all is forgiven, and that's all they wanted to do was be reconciled. Deep down, we need it, don't we? We crave it. Onesimus is a changed man, and he, he experienced more than just a change of behavior. He had a change of heart. He had a change of motivation. He had a change of attitude. Well, that's necessary for forgiveness and reconciliation to happen. The two sides desiring to reconcile need the wronged party to be selfless and love. They have to sacrifice the need to be right. And they need the party that has committed the wrong to experience a true change in heart. Well, here Philemon and Onesimus qualify. Philemon brings the sacrifice. Onesimus provides the changed heart. Let's see what happens. Verses 14 to 16 with me. Paul addresses Philemon. He shares this. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not, in effect, be by compulsion, but of your own free will. And he says this. For perhaps Onesimus was for this reason separated from you for a while. What reason, Paul? That you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I think this is so brilliant from Paul. This is so inspired from the Holy Spirit. This is so helpful for us because this is a, a practical picture of how God works all things together for good. Because Paul's saying, Philemon, you thought it was a bad thing when Onesimus stole from you and ran away. And Paul's saying, what if that's exactly the thing that God needed to use so that Onesimus would run into Paul and Paul would lead him to Jesus and God would get all the glory? And then Philemon would be able to be truly reconciled with Onesimus, not just as a, a slave, but as a true brother in Christ. See, God works all things together for good, especially the messy things. Messy things are his specialty. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, you know, the forgiveness issue I'm dealing with, it, it's bigger than this one. Circumstances God has allowed in my life, there, there's no way that any of that could be used for good. Let me just, 
as lovingly as I can, remind you of something. It's a fact that God took the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone in this world, and he turned it. And he used it to bring about the best good that anyone could ever experience. Because the worst thing that ever happened was that Jesus Christ was crucified. Perfect, holy God in the person of an innocent, sinless man was murdered. We remember that day. You know what we call it? Good Friday. You know why we call it good? Because it worked out for our good. Because that act provided the path to salvation to anybody who professes faith in Jesus. And truthfully, that act worked out for Jesus' good. Because three days later, he rose. He ascended into heaven. He, He went to prepare a place for us to join him for all eternity. Listen to me, I don't know how God will work out your situation for good. I don't. But I know that he will. Because I believe in his promise. He works all things together for good for those who love him. And up to this point in time, the letter of Philemon is still a theory, right? Necessary components are in place. Sacrifice from the party that was wronged, a changed heart from the party that offended. So what's the application? What are the things that are going to allow us to move from a theory of reconciliation to the reality of reconciliation. So we're going to see in verses 17 to 20. 17 to 21, pardon me. Sorry. Paul urges Philemon, if you regard me as a partner, accept Onesimus as you would me. But if he's wronged you in any way or he owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, I'm writing this with my own hand. I'll repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Now, I like reading Paul's letters. I really do. Because, man, he's nailing it here. He's he's doing so well. He's encouraging Philemon to be obedient to God and live the gospel. And then he throws in that little line, but remember, you owe me. (laughs) Because I'm the one that led you to the Lord. Paul's human. Verse 20, yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you'll do even more than what I say. Okay, how do we apply this lesson? How do we practice forgiveness and reconciliation, specifically like Philemon and Onesimus in our story? How do we reconcile with other Christ followers? It's on your bulletin. First, you've got to remember the unity that all believers have in Christ. If we're here, we profess faith in Christ, then we're united with God's church. We're united with other genuine believers. We're partners in Christ, like Paul says here. Well, if we're partners in Christ, we're supposed to forgive one another. That was the message in Ephesians 4. Forgive others as Christ forgave us. So Paul tells Philemon there in verse 17, hey, you regard me as a partner in Christ because we're both in Christ So do the same for Onesimus, for us as a church. Since we've been united through Christ and in Christ, honestly, it would be ridiculous to think that we're supposed to live with one another in spiritual unity but relational disunity. 
No. We're partners. We need to practice the unity. Second application step. We've got to receive a brother or sister who comes seeking reconciliation. That is really important. I've messed this up recently, and I need to confess this and apologize. I've been so hurt personally that I put some people in relational timeout. I didn't want to forgive them. I wanted to punish them for what they'd done. I drank the poison, tried to hurt somebody else. But I was only hurting myself. I wasn't living the gospel. Somebody comes to you and they exhibit a changed heart and they come seeking reconciliation. The text says we need to receive them. We need to accept them, as Paul says there in verse 17. That was Philemon's deal. He was going to have to receive Onesimus, and we need to do the same. If somebody who has offended us comes to seek forgiveness. Third thing, we have to be transparent. We've got to acknowledge that the, the wrong, the hurt, the offense actually happened. Now, I don't want us to be confused by this text because Paul says if Onesimus has wronged Philemon there in verse 18. But he uses the same word he did in verse 17, if, when the suggestion is certainly that Philemon does accept Paul as a partner in Christ. I don't want you to think Paul's trying to gloss over the things that Onesimus did wrong. In reality, what he's doing is he's acknowledging them. Now for us, for any real forgiveness and reconciliation to take place, when we've sinned, when we've done anything that would beg forgiveness, we've got to be honest. We've got to admit our wrongdoing. We can't say, well, I made a mistake. We can't say it was an accident. We need to own our actions. That's the open door for real reconciliation to take place. Now, recently, as I've gone through a trial, I shared things with some people who are very close to me, and I, I shared too much. I was hurt, and I didn't do everything that I could to heal a situation. And for that, <laughs> I am so sorry. And I pray that you would forgive me so that we can be reconciled. Point number four is the most important one. If you've been zoning out, if you're thinking about nachos at the game, dial back in with me because this is good. This is incredible. This is the answer we're truly needing to see. The last component of applying true forgiveness and reconciliation is to give the whole process to the one who's offered to fix it. We need to put all of our offense on the shoulders of the one who can actually bear it. Paul says there in verse 18, charge that to my account. I'll foot the bill. Onesimus did wrong. Let me take care of that. Philemon, you and Onesimus, just make sure you do everything you can to get right. Onesimus is coming humbly as a changed man. Philemon, you accept him as a beloved brother. Paul, pay the damages. Now think with me on this. Why? Why on earth would Paul offer to do that? He hadn't wronged anybody. Where would he get this idea that it might be good for a third party to bear the consequences of sin so that the other two parties can be reconciled? They could be in a loving and forgiven relationship. 
Because that's the gospel. Isn't it? That's the gospel. Paul's offering to do for Philemon and Onesimus what Christ did for him and God. Jesus bore Paul's sins in his place so he could be reconciled to God. Jesus did that for you if you're a Christ follower. He did it for me. And God puts Paul in this place where he can live the gospel. He can embody the gospel for Philemon and Onesimus. What amazing proof that we really understand the gospel when we move past the point of just saying we believe it and we actually live it. You understand what this means for us? It means we don't have to ignore hurts and wrongs. We don't have to look for a rug to try and sweep them under. We don't have to pretend they never happened because of Jesus Christ. He bore our sins. They've been paid for. We can be reconciled through Christ. Paul says that he knows Philemon will be obedient. I love that notion in verse 21. Because honestly, we don't have a follow-up to this letter in the Bible. But in my heart, I 100% believe that Philemon was obedient. I really can't imagine any way that this letter would make it into the canon of Scripture if he hadn't, right? Because if he'd read this letter in front of the church and he wasn't planning on doing it, he would have gone and burned the letter <laughs> as soon as he got done. He wouldn't want it around. Now, I believe after Philemon read this letter, he and Onesimus were reconciled. And they lived the rest of their lives as brothers in Christ. And listen to me, folks got to see it. Folks who would have known what Onesimus did. Well, he stole and he ran away. And they would have known what Philemon could have done. Well, he could have had him killed. And instead of seeing that, they see two brothers who live together in spiritual unity and in relational unity. And they'd have to ask, what in the world would allow these guys to be friends? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's plan of reconciliation through Jesus. And listen to me, church, this is it for us. We can do this together. Instead of being bitter and angry over things we don't like, instead of fracturing or dividing in the face of a situation we don't totally understand, instead we can model to the world. We can witness to others. We can witness to other churches in such a way that people will marvel at how we live out the gospel. They'll marvel at Jesus Christ in us. Please, let's do that together. We're going to take communion today, which is beautiful and timely. And, and we're going to take a few minutes to worship and meditate on what God has done for us. And I'm going to ask you to follow Scripture and examine your heart and confess your sin and draw close to the Lord as we observe this ordinance if you're here as a Christ follower, we invite you to participate. There'll be some music and some response time. And after you've engaged with the Lord, you can come take the elements. They're on the tables all around the room. But as we're preparing to worship in that way together, can I offer you one last thought? Sometimes, you know, we've got to walk through really hard things. Really, really hard things that God is doing in order to find the opportunity to truly live the gospel in our lives. Christina and I flew out 
to Idaho last weekend. I was going to preach at this church where God has called me. And our flight got delayed, and we got bumped, and we ended up spending the night in a hotel in Seattle, Washington. It was, it was good for us. We got to rest. The next morning, I went down to the hotel lobby, and I asked, hey, is there a conference room or a meeting room or something where I could practice my sermon? And they got me set up. It was fantastic. And so, so I was getting ready to go in there, and there was a vending machine right outside the door, and I needed a Diet Coke, like I always do. And so I went to the front desk, and I got change, you know, for a dollar. It was four quarters to get a Diet Coke. And so I walked over to the machine, and I, I plugged my first three quarters in, and they took, you know, the right journey down the machine, and you hear the little click thing. But my fourth quarter got hung up, got stuck. What do you do when that happens? I don't know if people use vending machines much anymore. But, but yeah, <laughs> you smack it. You smack the front of the vending machine because then the quarter drops. And I got 12 ounces of liquid gold. But the thing that that makes me think of is this. Some point in time in our lives as Christ followers, when we say we love God, and when we say we believe in the gospel, if the coin's stuck, sometimes you've got to smack the front of the machine a little bit to get it to drop, to get us to live the gospel. Listen to me on this. It's not enough. It's not abundant to just talk about forgiveness and reconciliation. We're supposed to do it. So maybe in this situation, God has come and he's smacked the front of our machine just a little bit to let the coin drop and see what comes out. So will you take this time as we observe communion together and think about anybody that you need to forgive? Think about anybody that we need to seek reconciliation with? I'm standing up here as all three guys today. I'm I'm Paul because I want to encourage us to live the gospel. I'm Philemon because I need to be sacrificial. I need to be able to forgive. And I'm Onesimus because I've poured fuel on a fire that that I should have worked put out. But who are you in this story today? And when we realize that God works all things together for good, and sometimes he smacks the machine so that the coin will drop, so that we'll go out and live the gospel and practice forgiveness and reconciliation. I love you guys with all my heart. Let me pray for the bread and the cup and for this church. Daddy, you are so good that you work all things together for good. Onesimus ran away, but he ran right where you wanted him to go. And he met Paul and then he met Jesus. God, help us to see and we won't be able to understand everything in this world. We, we see things as in a mirror dimly. One day we'll see fully. We'll recognize you for how sovereign, how creative, how incredibly loving and sacrificial you are. God, as we take the bread and the cup, help us. Guide us. Lead us. Help us to have right relationships. God, I pray it for myself. God, help us to lean in on you. We love you so much. Pray for the bread and the cup and for the body of believers at Cape Bible Chapel.
We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.